Hey friends, Tyler here with a special announcement for pastors and ministry leaders. On May 7th and 8th, Bridgetown Church will be hosting a pastor's gathering for ministry leaders and other pastors uh, around the theme of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in a postmodern context. We're going to tackle themes like listening prayer and prophetic ministry, creating a culture of response and encounter. And we want to do so among like-minded leaders ministering in a similar context who are going after the same things. So if that's you and that sounds interesting to you, Come and join us on May 7th and 8th. Registration is live right now, and you can find more information at, at the website that is dedicated to this, bridgetown.church training. Hope to see you in May. Ni Yoruba, Joanu Kini, Ori Kini, Lati Esekini, De Ikering. Ni Atetekoshe, Ni Oroa, Orosi Wakpelu Olorun si ni oro na ohun ni o si wa pelu Olorun ni atetekose nipa sere ni oda ohun gbogbo leyin re akosida ohun kan ninu ohun ti atida ninu re ni iye wa iye yi na si ni imole araye ekin la oro na si de ara ohun si nigba wa Awa si tiri ogore ani ogo omore kon shosho. Ti o ti odobabawa o kunfun ore ofe ati otito. John 1, 1 to 4. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. John 1.14 The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was 15 the first time I really felt like I heard God's voice. It happened so fast, I honestly wasn't sure it was real. I was sitting in the back of a dark room in our new youth building, which by the way used to be a Gold's Gym before our church bought it and made it into the very edgy space it became. Think uh, Friends Coffee Shop, Ross and Rachel having their other DTR kind of vibe. and. Uh, yeah, if that, if that doesn't make any sense to you, we pray for you. Uh, if you're not familiar with Ross and Rachel, this may not be the community for you. I'm, ki- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. Um, I remember I was sitting right behind the huge post that held up the top walking layer track of the building, so I could only partially see our youth pastor who was handing out CDs to the winner of that week's trivia before he began his usual Wednesday night sermon. Being 15 meant that I had made it out of one of the hardest and most tumultuous years of my young life. My mom had left our family the year prior, and during that season, I knew God's nearness, though I had never actually heard him speak to me. And I don't remember a lot of details from that night at youth group, except that as the sermon began, it was like the room began to blur in my mind and my heart began racing. 
And to be honest, I hadn't been thinking a whole lot about the future, at least a future that involved anything other than getting Nathan Mowry's attention. He had always been cute, but he hit puberty and things only escalated. Um, that said, my heart wasn't thinking about future things. I wasn't thinking about what God might be inviting me into or who maybe he was making me uh, to be. So uh, that night though, in the midst of a room I had been in a thousand times surrounded by teenagers with chokers and absurdly low rise jeans, I felt God's presence come near to me, come over me in the language I had heard others use. And in that moment, I heard God say in the quiet of my heart with no invitation or initiation from me as my eyes began to survey the room, do you wanna give your life to this? Now that may seem vague to you, but I knew in the moment exactly what this was. It was these people, and not just these people, but you people, his people. That night, I heard God speak to me for the first time, and he asked me a question that I knew would change my whole life, and it did. A few years after that, I was sitting in the living room of a family I had chosen to live with prior to going to college full-time. They were super wonderful, so kind, so generous, and really just deeply loving. Their home for me was a place of solace and healing, especially as I was trying to get my bearings after coming off my first semester of college. And the wife was a good friend to me. She prayed for me and with me often, and that was just an exceptional gift. Uh, one night though, I remember sitting on the floor of her living room and she was on the couch above me and she said, you know what, Bethany, I believe God told me your mom was going to come back, like Hosea that she and your dad will be together and God will restore what your whole family has lost. And what I remember most about that moment is how certain she was, how convinced she was that God had told her that. And honestly, I was so happy to hear it. <laughs> I have been so broken and so vulnerable in that season, so desperate that her words and confidence in what God had spoken to her felt like water falling in parched places. I wanted to believe that what she said, God said to her was true, and I wanted to believe that I could trust that. So I tried, and I did. But just a year and a half later, my mom remarried someone else, and that word from God didn't happen. And the disappointment and questions and disillusionment that followed that moment were nothing short of disorienting. Hearing God's voice is arguably the most important aspect of the whole of the Christian life. It is the baseline for how we know and are transformed by God. It's even more important than the words we speak to God. More important, most theologians would argue, than talking about him or even at him. Hearing God's voice is the most important thing we as Jesus followers can learn to do this side of heaven and yet, Hearing the voice of God for so many of us has been a double-edged sword, consisting often of both good and hard realities, and sometimes at the same time. For some of us, hearing his voice, even if only once or twice, has in the best way shaped our destiny, given us vision for what life could be like. It's oriented us around something greater than we could have created or perceived ourselves. It's maybe protected us or redefined us 
leading us to a better way of living, a better reality. But still, for others, hearing God's voice has felt like a mystery at best, an abandonment and dismissal at worst. It's forced us to ask a lot of questions like, why doesn't God speak to me? Or why can't I hear his voice? Does he care that I hear him? Or why did he speak that thing to me about that specific thing we talked about and it didn't happen? Or why did I need to hear him? Or when I did need to hear him the most, he seemingly stayed silent. Why, when I want to hear from him so badly, I need to hear from him, I can't. Why is it so hard to hear his voice? Hearing God seems like it would be the most natural thing in the world for those of us who call ourselves Christians. For those of us who love Jesus, who know God, and yet for so many of us, it is the place we have experienced the greatest pain and confusion. Today we begin a new teaching series, Hearing God, Listening to the Still Small Voice of the Holy Spirit. And in the weeks ahead, we're gonna talk about how to hear the voice of God, how to hear it in the scriptures, how to hear God through one another or in the quiet or through personal discernment, how to hear God in creation, all of which will culminate to the celebration of Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. But today, we will begin with the most profound way that God has ever spoken, the most clear and tangible way for us to know the voice of God, and that is through a living, breathing person, through Jesus. Jesus is the starting point because he is the lens through which we understand most clearly and most personally God's words to us. And in John chapter one, we see that truth on display. Now, at first glance, this text can seem far more poetic than helpful when it comes to understanding who Jesus is and how he embodies God's word. But what we actually find here, in my opinion, is a literary masterpiece, a symphony of language. John paints a picture of a greater story we're meant to behold in what he's saying, pointing us to an undercurrent that holds greater depth and breadth to this Jesus he is speaking about. And though it may not seem like it, John is leading the reader to see Jesus, not just for who he is or for who he was, but for who he has always been and what that means for how we are to rightfully see and experience him now. And look, John didn't come to play. I think that's what the kids say. He didn't come to play, earring off, you know? Look down at your text with me in John chapter one. That was a bad way to get you in the text, but there you are. Take a look down at John chapter one. Right off the bat, hopefully you'll notice that John grabs the attention of the reader by using these words, in the beginning. Now this phrase, in the beginning, was a line that the Jewish people of the day would have instantly had context for. Like the line, it was the best of times, it was the, yeah. By using this, John was trying to take his listeners somewhere. And that somewhere was the cosmos. He was masterfully placing Jesus into a cosmic story, the cosmic story. He was saying that in order for you to understand who Jesus is, you need to start back at the beginning. John is inviting the reader through this simple phrase on a journey to find Jesus in the story of the world, 
and through the story of the scriptures. So with that, let's just take a minute and follow his lead. We're gonna start by looking at Genesis chapter one. You ready? Thank you, Gerald. I really appreciate that. Genesis chapter one, verse one. Here the author writes this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A familiar passage to a lot of us, mostly because we reference it at least once a month around here but a a language that's meant to stir us to wonder, to cause us to ask questions and to consider things like how God created. In verses one and two, we read that the earth was formless and empty, but that God was present. And then in verse three, as we find God beginning to create, we read that God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, this pattern continues throughout the chapter. God speaks and something is created. Heaven and earth, night and day, man and woman, and so on. The point here is that God's words shaped reality. His words, what he spoke out, created the world. As humans, from both a scientific and sociological perspective, we know that words express the mind, will, and character of a person. That we can observe a ton about someone based on what we see but that we can't begin to know them personally until they speak. And at many levels, this is true for God too. God speaks and in that we observe a reality about him that we could not have otherwise known. Do you remember a few weeks ago when Tyler referenced this word connecto in Genesis? Yes, oh good, the last one did not. (laughs) So, (laughs) now here, This connection here in Genesis simply points to the fact that God in his nature and who he is has created a world that flourishes and exists in union, in relationship. And that points us to the truth or a truth about who he is. He is a God who wants overlap, who desires relationship within and with his creation. And we see this clearly on display at the end of chapter one when God not only creates with his words, but he uses his words then to relate, to connect, to have overlap with his creation, with Adam and Eve. What John is pointing us to is that God's words not only have power, but they have purpose. His words, what we see him speak to and about shows us who he is and what he desires. God wanted to be near his creation, to have relationship with them from the beginning. But through our text, we know there's more. John, who was, a Jew, uh, was, who was Jewish himself, who would have known their history well, seemingly draws our attention beyond creation to other imagery that the Jewish people of the day would have understood. And he says, the story doesn't end there. In verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Again, John is grabbing the attention of his readers by using imagery and language that would draw their imaginations back to this greater context. The word dwelling here in the Greek translates to tabernacle, which would have drawn their minds back to a story from Exodus 25, a story they were familiar with a time when God once again revealed himself through his word. It's there that God speaks to Moses, the leader of the Jewish people, and he says, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell with them. Make this tabernacle. 
The tabernacle was a central focal point, not only of God's glory, which we also see referenced here in this text, but of the place where God's presence came to live and unite with his people. John is, in so many words, saying that Jesus is the reality to which the tabernacle pointed. The overlap of heaven and earth, of a God who wants to be near his people. The word, John says, was there, tabernacling in Exodus. And that same tabernacling God was with them now. In the scriptures, we see this pattern of God coming near to his people through his words. And what we can't miss is that it was pointing somewhere, specifically to someone. As Israel, God's people began to grow, we see God speaking over and over again, sometimes to a specific person like Moses or the Old Testament prophets, and through his words. And he would express desire for relationship and even cultivate relationship with those individuals. Again, his words pointing to a bigger reality. In Genesis, God's voice is a creative force. And in the Old Testament and through the prophets, we see his voice was heard and written down by many. But as John so beautifully expresses it here, when Jesus came, he was and would be the culmination of every word that has ever been spoken. Everything John is pointing us to is saying that he, Jesus, was the embodiment of God's words spoken over time. He was God's language taking human form. And not just as a representative, but the place where heaven and earth met. God's ultimate word now here in the flesh, animating and defining every other word God would speak. And not just to one person or to a few people, but to all of us. C.S. Lewis once said, it is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. And what Lewis is saying here is that God's most definitive words, that every word spoken before and in the scriptures would be realized in Jesus the one who was in the beginning, and the one who has come to tabernacle with us. If you turn over in your Bibles just a few chapters to John chapter 10, verse 4, you'll find these words from Jesus. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. Hearing God begins with meeting Jesus. Following Jesus. Knowing him and reading his words this is the clearest way we can know the voice of God in real time and in a real way. And that is great news, at least at first. You see, so many of us want to hear the voice of God. In fact, it's intrinsic to our design to want to know the God who made us, whether you're willing to use that language or not. All of us desire to depend on something greater than ourselves, to be helped and guided supported and loved and hearing and knowing God's voice is the way we experience that. The problem is, even though we desire that, we usually desire that on our own terms. We desire his voice when it works for us, when it's convenient for us, when it gets us where we want to go and puts us with the people that we want to be with. But when it conflicts with what we want, with what we're going after or even what we feel is true, that is where the rub is. That is where his voice becomes a little more difficult to hear. In my experience, mostly as a human, but also as a pastor, one of the hardest things to reconcile when it comes to hearing God's voice through Jesus is that so often we want his words, but we don't want him. 
or we want him, but we don't want his words. Maybe another way to say that is sometimes when wanting to hear God's voice through Jesus, we struggle to either welcome the words he said or welcome his embodiment of those words. That closeness or the overlap of a real person actually expressing truth to us in real time. I went to Bible college after saying yes to God's question to me that night as a 15-year-old. And in that season, I distinctly remember hearing truths about who God was. Even writing papers, really good papers, about his forgiveness and redemption. I genuinely loved this story. I loved the truths I was learning about God's voice and the life that it brought, not just to me, but to the whole world. I believed in his words, I believed in what he said, in the voice of God in the flesh, and I thought it was actually good news. His words were powerful, and I was up for building my life around them. The problem was I didn't care much for him. I don't mean I didn't love Jesus. I mean I didn't in that season want him, the person of Jesus, near me. I wanted his voice to shape my life. I wanted to build a future off of his words and create a world to live in in light of them. But deep within me, I felt an ache that led me to do whatever I could to avoid him personally. God's words were fine, but God's word, the person, was a presenting problem. And I don't know if I would have named it that way then, but what I wanted because of the pain I was carrying, because I was still trying to reconcile how God could let my family fall apart, or how the voice of God in my mom didn't seem strong enough to call her home, or strong enough to tell the void inside me that I would actually be okay was for Jesus to leave me alone, to give me his words, but not his actual presence with me. Because for me, him coming that close meant I'd have to confront a reality around forgiveness that I wasn't interested in. His words coming close to me would mean I have to confront a reality of my pain that existed within, and that wouldn't work. It meant that him coming close would require him seeing all of me, the angry, frustrated, disappointed, lacking, messy parts of me. And I didn't want him to do that. You see, you can want his words, but not want him. You can want what his words produce and create, but only to a degree, to a degree that keeps you at a safe enough distance from him as a person. You can, without others even knowing it, embrace his words but reject his presence. Many of us love this story. You're like me. You're like, this is great. I love the idea of God coming to earth and putting his heart and voice on display in Jesus. I love what the man had to say, sacrificial love, a kingdom where all things are made new, loving your neighbor, hoorah, caring for the outcast and the marginalized, wonderful, stewarding the gift of the earth. Yes, solid agenda. We love this for us. But we'd prefer that's where it ends. I mean, maybe we don't say that, but we live like that, don't we? So often, whether we name it or not, we want distance from Jesus the person because a person demands relating to someone. And that's very different than reading words on a page. A person demands a relational response, a response that insists I consider the effect of the other. And that involves voluntary and sacrifice, nope, 
vulnerability, no, no volunteering necessary, <laughs> involves vulnerability and sacrifice when it comes to what I think is best. You can want Jesus' words and not want his person. You can want to hear what he has to say, but you can at the same time prioritize your own autonomy and preferences at the cost of intimacy with him. Now, I don't know where you fall into this equation. Maybe that's not your jam. Maybe you're on the other side of this coin. Maybe you want him, but not his words. Maybe you feel like he's safe and you're totally on board with this radical Jesus, the truth teller, full of mercy and kindness. Maybe you're all for the life that he's promised through his death and resurrection. But when it comes to all his words, the things he's said clearly, You don't know, I mean, maybe you love him and he's great, but if you're honest, his words don't always work in your life or story. And I'm not talking about even the big ideas, I'm talking about the small ones too. So yeah, there might be some conflict there. There might be some things there that don't feel like good news. Yes, maybe you want to embrace God's voice in your life, but you want to be able to say when and how much. So many of us love the experience of Jesus, the experiences of hearing God's voice through a person, but if we're honest, we'd like to pick and choose those moments. We'd like to keep what works and throw out what doesn't. We want the person Jesus, but embracing all he said and will continue to say, I don't know if I can go that far. Wanting Jesus, but not his words is like wanting a date who never speaks or only tells me what I wanna hear. It's fun at first, but then it's not fun, right? It's nice to have a warm body next to you or the assurance or the protection of the company. I even like the way it would look if someone was trying to date me. (laughs) (laughs) But if I don't make room to embrace what he has to say, this person, then I will never actually have what I most desire in that dynamic, and that is a relationship. In his book, How to Hear God, our friend Pete Gregg writes, hearing God is about moving from talking about God, at God, or even to God, to talking with God. That quote has stuck out to me all week, I think because of the imagery that's evoked in my mind when I think about talking with God. With implies that I am present, not just to his words, but to him. With implies a conversation, a back and forth between two people, not just an exchange of words, but of presence and engagement within myself. With is this invitation to embrace God's voice, to embrace Jesus, the word, holy and without my own limits. With means that if I want to hear God's voice, then I can't reduce what he has said to the things I agree with or feel comfortable with. And it also means that I can't divorce the words being spoken from the one who is saying it. With. This is a word that John uses to describe Jesus, to describe the voice of God. In Jesus, we no longer have the luxury of demanding God's words in a one-dimensional kind of way. God's voice coming through a person means that his voice now would be defined both by actual words and presence. And one without the other would mean the absence of the fullness of God's voice in our lives. 
Bible college has this way of forcing the images of the scriptures into your mind. They kind of get paid to do that, so good job. Uh, But I uh, remember a season where that was profound for me. I remember sitting in a class on the gospels, the story of Jesus's life and being struck by how personal he was. This happened during the semester I was trying to keep God at base at the timing couldn't have been more wonderful. Despite my best efforts, I regularly found my mind wandering back to the stories, like the woman who washed Jesus's feet with her tears, or the bleeding woman who Jesus saw in a crowd and she reached for him, or Zacchaeus who crawled in a tree to see someone who would have ordinarily rejected and despised him and yet decided to eat with him at his own dinner table. I couldn't stop thinking about how Jesus not only spoke words that healed and dignified and liberated every person he met, but how he never did so without coming close to them, being present to them. And that compounding reality seemed to have changed their lives. It's one thing to speak something to someone. It's another thing to be present with them. And I think we all know that. It's one thing if you said you're moving across the country and I was like, ah, wonderful, goodbye. (laughs) And you never saw me again. (laughs) Then it is for me to say goodbye in your presence on that moving day. To be a witness to the love that is between us and to the grief that now exists. I learned that reality all those years with, uh, with being without my mom. I learned that people's words and presence could do something to you that was transcendent. When someone stepped into the words that they spoke to me during that season, when someone spoke words and then lived them towards me, it changed me. It changed my experience of their words and my experience of their love. It changed the way I saw myself and my circumstances. Presence and words unlock life even in the darkest of places. And God, the creator of life itself, knew that. He knows that. And that's what John's getting at. God sending Jesus to be the clearest representation of his voice meant that he would no longer speak through others and then to us. It meant that he would come close enough for us to know his voice and to know that it was never just about the words he was speaking, but about heaven overlapping earth his love coming close enough to touch us, about bringing a presence, a person to us that would animate and shape every word he spoke into the truest expression of his heart. That reality showing up, if that's not love, then I'm not sure what is. In Jesus, we see God's voice most clearly. We see that what has been true from the beginning is still true today. We see that God's voice isn't just a platform for rhetoric or religious practice or rules, but it is something that's rooted and formed in relationship. From a dynamic word and presence, God's voice in the container of relationship, there's power in that. The day that clicked for me in a dusty old Bible college in the deep south was the day I understood that hearing God's voice would truly start and end with me embracing Jesus. Not just embracing his words, but embracing his whole life, his presence with me, 
his words alive through a person that I could talk to and relate to and know. And as scary as that was, it is what I most deeply wanted. Hearing God's voice is arguably the most important aspect of the whole of the Christian life. And today, the point I want to make about all of this is very simple. And if you haven't gotten it yet, I have said it about 27 times. That hearing the voice of God starts by knowing Jesus. Being willing to embrace Jesus, his words, his teaching, his presence. Jesus is the lens through which we know the voice of God most clearly. He's not in addition to, he is the catalyst for it. He is, according to the book of Hebrews, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is how we know God's voice. And I know that for some of you that feels complicated. Maybe you've had a rough go in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe his words have been used to hurt you. Or maybe you've tuned him out, both his words and his presence, maybe one or the other like me because you had a bad experience or a painful experience relationally. Maybe that experience came through someone else or maybe it came from within your own self. Maybe you've thought you heard from Jesus or understood what he was asking of you or calling you to and it still feels like you got it wrong. Maybe hearing his voice has meant quieting the other voices in your life and that feels like a sacrifice that may be impossible to make. Maybe the person of Jesus has been difficult for you. Maybe it's been hard to think about him so close because intimacy in your life has always led to heartbreak or you fear being hurt so your defenses towards him are raised. Maybe thinking about Jesus being close enough to speak to your specific life situation feels too intense or too personal and you're not sure how you could handle it. I have no idea where this is hitting you today. But what I do know is that God's intent from the beginning was to know you and to love you. For Jesus to be the place where heaven and earth actually overlaps in you and nothing short of that that despite the failings of others or yourself, there is a definitive truth at work and pursuing you through the voice, through the person of Jesus. Jesus is where we find the thing that we most desire. And even if for a moment it feels scary and it hurts, he is the place where we know and hear God's voice. And so I've wondered as I've written this teaching about my own life and the ways that I need to come to him again. I don't have some grandiose thing, at least that I'm aware of, it could come later, that's blinding me, but I do know the small places in which I've made compromises in both places. His person and his words. I've reinterpreted based on my situation and I have rejected based on my emotional state. So I wonder if there's room for us as we begin this series to consider as a community what it would look like to set aside best we can our pride in whatever ways that looks for you. Even letting go a little bit of the past of the things that you've held on to before and maybe once again, bringing yourself to him. Laying aside hope deferred or confusion or pain and for a moment, 
inviting God to tabernacle with you again. To set his tent up right in the midst of all that you've got going on. And to speak something to you. To say something to you. To remind you how to hear his voice. I've had many moments over the last 15 years that have demanded embracing Jesus in ways I never expected. That's just the journey. And it's annoying. And I have felt the tension of wanting to hear God's voice in my life and then having to find it again and again and again, not in some Holy Spirit conference, not in some prophetic word, but in Jesus himself. And while in many moments that has been costly and frustrating, and in many moments I have missed God's voice or failed to listen, the gift I have found in this person, Jesus, not just a prophetic word and not just an encounter or experience is that even when my flesh fails and when I blow it and when I resist him and when I pout, that he, he, this word and words comes to find me. God's voice in the flesh means that I can now experience a love that moves and speaks my language and can sympathize with my weakness. God's voice in Jesus means that I can know God's voice in a person, in a relationship, in a space where I am fought for and loved even when I can't love myself. This is good news. Like I mentioned earlier, over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about how to hear the voice of God, how to hear it in the scriptures, how to hear it through each other, how to hear it in the quiet and through personal discernment how to hear him in creation. But the bedrock, the foundation, and the most definitive way God speaks to us and the way by which we assess all other things that we hear from God is through the life and the teachings of Jesus. And he is here, back from the dead, alive and speaking. He is where we begin and he is where we will end. So may we have eyes to see and ears to hear.